There's always a moment where everything changes. A great photographer, someone like Diane Arbus, or me during that fraction of a second when I was great, she sees that moment coming and presses the shutter release an instant before the change hits. If you don't see it coming, if you blink or you're drunk or just looking the other way, well, everything changes anyway. It's not like things would have been different. But for the rest of your life, you're fucked because you blew it. Maybe no one else knows it, but you do. In my case, it was no secret. Everyone knew I'd blown it. Some people can make do in a situation like that. Me, I've never been good at making do. My life, who could pretend there wasn't a big fucking hole in it? I grew up about 60 miles north of the city in Kamensic Village, a haunted corner of the Hudson Valley where three counties meet in a stony congeries of ancient Dutch-built houses, farmland, old-growth forest, nouveau riche mansions. My father was, is, the village magistrate. I was an only child, and a wild thing as the privileged children of that town were. I had from earliest childhood a sense that there was no skin between me and the world. I saw things that other people didn't see. Hands that slipped through gaps in the air like falling leaves. A jagged outline like a branch, but there was no branch and no tree. In bed at night, I heard a voice repeating my name in a soft, insistent monotone. Cass, Cass, Cass. My father took me to a doctor who said I'd grow out of it. I never did, really. My mother was much younger than my father, a beautiful Radcliffe girl he met on a blind date arranged by his cousin. She died when I was four. The car she was driving, our old Red Rambler station wagon, went off the road and into the woods, slamming into a tree on the outskirts of town. It was an hour before someone noticed headlights shining through the trees and called the police. When they finally arrived, they found my mother impaled on the steering column. I was face up on the back seat, surrounded by shattered glass, but unhurt. I have no memory of the accident. The police officer told my father that I didn't cry or speak, just stared at the car's ceiling, and as the officer carried me outside, the night sky... Nowadays, there would have been a grief counselor, a child psychologist, drugs. My father's Irish Catholic sensibility, while not religious, precluded any overt emotion. There was a wake, a funeral, a week of visiting relatives and phone calls. Then my father returned to work. A housekeeper, Rosie, was hired to tend me. My father wouldn't speak of my mother unless asked. And forty-odd years ago... One didn't ask. Her presence remained in the framed black-and-white photos my father kept of her in his bedroom. While Rosie vacuumed or made lunch, I would sit on his bed and slowly move my fingers across the glass covering the pictures, pretending the dust was face powder on my mother's cheeks. I liked being alone. Once when I was fourteen, walking in the woods, I stepped from the trees into a field where the long grasses had been flattened by sleeping deer. I looked up into the sky and saw a mirror image of the grass, black and yellow-gray whirls making a slow clockwise rotation, like a hurricane. As I stared, the whirl began to move more quickly, 
drawing a darkness into its center until it resembled a vast striated eye that was all pupil, contracting upon itself yet never disappearing. I stared at it until a low buzzing began to sound in my ears. Then I ran. I didn't stop until I reached my driveway. When I finally halted and looked back, the eye was still there, turning. I never mentioned it to anyone. No one else ever spoke of seeing it. My sense of detachment grew when I started high school, but as my grades were good and my other activities furtive, my father never worried much about what I did. Our relationship was friendly, if distant. It was my Aunt Bridget who worried about me on the rare occasions she paid us a visit. Bridget was like my father, stocky and big-boned and red-haired. I resembled photos of my mother, tall and angular, narrow-hipped, my mother's soft features honed to a knife edge in my own. Pointed chin, up-tilted nose, dirty blonde hair, and mistrustful gray eyes. If I'd been a boy, I might have been beautiful. Instead, I learned early on that my appearance made people uneasy. There was nothing pretty about my androgyny. I was nearly six feet tall and vaguely threatening. I wore my hair long, but otherwise made no concessions to fashion, no makeup, no lipstick. I wore my father's white shirts over patched blue jeans or men's trousers I bought at the junior league shop. I wouldn't meet people's eyes. I didn't like people looking at me. It made me feel sick. It reminded me of that great eye above the empty field. She looks like a scarecrow, Dad, Bridget said once when I was sixteen. She and her husband were in Comensic for a rare visit. I mean, look at her. I think she looks fine, my father said mildly. She's just built like her mother was. She looks like a drug addict, Bridget snapped. She was sensitive about her weight. We see them out where we live. I pointed out to the bird feeder at the edge of our woods. What, like the chickadees? We see them too, I said and retreated to my room. Several months later, I had this dream. I was kneeling in the field where I'd seen the eye. A figure appeared in front of me. A man with green-flecked eyes, his smile mocking and oddly compassionate. As I stared up at him, he extended his hand until his finger touched the center of my forehead. There was a blinding flash, I fell on my face, terrified, woke in bed with my ears ringing. It was the morning of my 17th birthday. My father gave me a camera. I sat at the breakfast table, turned it in my hands, and remembered the dream. I saw my face distorted in the round glass of the lens, like a flaw, like an eye staring back at me.